Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. On this Friday, all kinds of stuff. I mean, look, the college, we've been having college sports since, you know, late August, early September, but. The college sports season is really hot and heavy right now. I mean, you've got the these basketball races that we're about to get into. Then we've got baseball and softball starting. Cajun softball team beat Indiana 4-1 to yesterday. I kind of thought the offense would be a little better than it was. Um... The pitching was good. The defense was a couple good moments, but some also bad moments. Um, But, I mean, look, you won. I mean, it is what it is. Uh, You win the game and you're happy. And everybody, I don't think anybody got hurt that I saw. And so all that part is good. Um, Today you play Michigan at five and we'll just – see what uh what, what what happens there and uh stormy played yesterday got one triple coach thought it should have been two triples uh i saw the replay multiple times i it was it was kind of a i think i think it was probably a triple but i'm not 100% even after watching the replay it was it it was it was hard to tell but it was um uh, that 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 part was good. You know, we still don't know about third base. Uh, Victoria Valdez played third yesterday, and she had a couple really good plays, and then a couple plays where you're like, I don't know how that's going to play long term. So, you know, we'll kind of wait and see. Um, so, again, lots to discuss. Uh, we will be doing, we'll be talking to Nick in the next segment. And I don't know. I I feel, for some reason, I feel worse about the Pelicans than I did when they were on their 10-game losing streak. Because when they were on their 10-game losing streak, you kind of you kind of felt like, yeah, they're losing and it's not good, but Zion's coming back. And now you're like, I guess he's coming back. I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Like, again, like we were talking yesterday with Mike Thomas. Like, who else does? What is it? Like, what is the this, this Zion and Michael Thomas thing? Plastic Man and Zion. I, I don't know. Very, very, very frustrating. But... We wait, we'll wait and see how that goes. And then we'll be talking to Tom Hafer about McNeese, and they're, they're making a run late. And um, 
Then we'll talk Cajun baseball with our friend Craig Melanson in the ten at about ten fifteen. And the Cajuns open up against Rice. You know, again, they're expected to win. It will be interesting to see how many different lineups Coach Deggs plays over these over these three games. Uh, LSU baseball first pitch has been moved up to three o'clock. Apparently, the weather's going to be. There was some stretches yesterday where the weather was pretty bad. Uh, yesterday afternoon, really loud, you know, lightning and rain. And um, and so maybe we're getting some of that again tonight, apparently, in, in South Louisiana. So LSU baseball has been moved up to 3 o'clock, and maybe it's a good thing that Cajun baseball didn't open at home. Again, Cajun baseball's first game scheduled for Wednesday Man, what a Wednesday. Think about Wednesday. The men and women's basketball teams are going to be playing at home. And the baseball team will have his home opener against BYU at home. Uh, softball, I don't believe, plays because they, they, they'll be off for a few days. Their last day is they play Central Florida Tuesday, so they'll be off that day. Um, and so won't have that, but man, that's a busy Wednesday. All right. So basketball right last night's game was actually, it was good and bad. Like it was over so early that it was hard to, to stay engaged with that game. Like I spent almost the whole second half looking at what everybody else in the Sun Belt was doing and, and that kind of stuff. I didn't really hardly pay attention to the second half like I normally would. Well, it, it seemed like the team kind of had the same idea because they could kind of let Monroe creep all the way back, which, again, it was never like it was in doubt. So you don't put a you know a ton of – it got down to 13 with team, like five yeah. minutes left, and you said, wait a minute, and then they quickly went on a run and kind of ended that kind of threat. So, But this team, and I, I already kind of mentioned it this morning, but like, They've got an unbelievable ability to play the first six minutes like it's just the last six minutes they're ever going to play. I mean, how many times have they jumped up by like 10, 15 points early in games? And I then, think that's the 10th. Yeah, it's been impressive. And, yeah. of, of course, they had one game where it went the other way with Georgia Southern where they fell way behind, and then I guess Old Dominion as well on the road. So two times there. But both the times they came back, one of those they won, one they lost. But they've just been able to just jump all over teams, and then teams are just fighting and clawing to get back in the game, and it seems like they're able to just – those games are a lot, you know, it, I like it because it's a lot less stressful to sit there and, you know, when it's always 15 and you're going right. all the leads down to 10 instead of going back and forth with a team with a three-point lead and going up and down. I mean, but that's – and that's important because I think that's part of the reason they won 10 games in a row. When you can jump out to 15, 20-point leads, and they've done it against some of the better teams in the conference too. It's not just Monroe. Just impressive. But, again – They've got to play better in the second half, and this is the third straight second half where they've played poorly. So it is the third straight. Now again, this one a little different for sure. It's a little different, but 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 yeah, it is the third straight second half that that they don't that that they don't play well. So if you didn't hear, I've been saying all year long. I don't know what their problem is. I think South Alabama is really good. I think I said yesterday Southern Miss was due for a uh, a classic letdown game. And they didn't just lose. They got their faces crushed. I mean, they got beat 85 to 54. That's 31 points. Like, Southern Miss got crushed. Um, So, it's interesting scenario here. 
Southern Miss, okay, here's Marshalls. The Cajuns right now are 11 and 4. They are in a two way tie with Marshall for second place, one game behind Southern Miss. Southern Miss has Georgia Southern at home. Georgia Southern almost beat Marshall last night. They're a very dangerous team. Uh, And then they're at ODU and at Texas State. So you would say two pretty losable games. Um, Marshall hosts Troy. Who do you pull for if you're a Cajun fan in that game? Troy's the only other team that could keep the Cajuns, theoretically, if the Cajuns finish weak, that could keep the Cajuns from finishing in the top four. So, as a Cajun fan, do you want to pretty much ensure that you finish in the top four? Yes. Or are you playing for number one? No, but, well, but the thing is, is that you still have or the two. tiebreaker over Marshall. As long as you went out and handle your own business, Marshall can't jump you in the standings. So I think you pull for Marshall to try to eliminate any chance of a collapse and falling out of the top four. And then, of course, like we were saying earlier, with the since we don't, we've kind of agreed like anywhere you are from one through four, we'll see when the seeding comes out. But it's not a huge advantage to be three versus two or four versus one. So as long as you're in that top four, and then, again, you, you have to think, if you're a co-champion, you still get everything that comes with being a champion. You still get the NIT berth if you lose the conference championship. So you root and, for Marshall unless, because you can then Right, I, unless you don't match up with James Madison. Again, James Madison on the men's side and the women's side, it, 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 the kind of the great mystery wild card team. By the way, Marshall's last three games – Host Troy at James Madison and at ODU. Feels like they'll lose one of those. Tough last three games, so we'll see what happens. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Ah, didn't hang on. Um, No, I I don't know. Looking at the schedules, it, it makes it interesting. On the women's side, the women won last night. They're now, there's now, and Troy got beat by Coastal Carolina at home. So, James Madison, ODU, and Troy are all tied for first place at 11-4. And and the Cajuns are in a three-way tie for fourth with Texas State and Southern Miss, who they finish out the regular season with Wednesday and Friday at home. Um, Just one game out of first place. So, That's six teams within one game of each other with three games left for those four spots. Yeah, it's it's jumbled up. And and the good thing for the women is that if you handle your business and beat teams you should beat and then win home games, one of your two home games that you have remaining, you win two of the three, I think you'll be in the top four. Um, I think I think that's pretty safe to say because those teams above you are going to be playing each other like some of them are going to have to lose games in this stretch as well. So if you win two of the three, you feel great. Now, if you only go one and two in this stretch, you might be one of the teams that's left out of that top four, and then all of a sudden you well, got to play four Well, it just depends on the tiebreaker because multiple other teams are going to go two and one as well. Right. I just don't know what the tiebreaker situation. Now, the Cajuns uh, beat ODU. Uh, they got swept by Troy, even though they shouldn't have. Lost two overtime games, but they, had, but they lost to James Madison. Now, if they beat Texas State, they sweep Texas State. 
So that's the team I think uh, you have a pretty good. The problem with Texas State is they play South Al at home, probably going to win that game. They play at the Cajuns and then Arkansas State. Uh, I'm just a little worried about this Arkansas State just because Coach Broadhead just, he, he, he has this innate fear of playing in Jonesboro. And hopefully his girls don't. You know, he has all these years of like, I think he has flashbacks or something. Um, hopefully his girls don't have that same mentality about playing in Jonesboro. Yeah, and, and switching back to the men real quick, because you mentioned James Madison and the matchup thing. I've started to look into this one a little more, and one thing that concerns me, we'll see. James Madison's three starting guards all listed at 6'4". So UL has a little bit smaller guards, of course, when Themis and Cantrell play. So that concerns me a little bit, and we'll see. Now, those guys have defended well even against some of the bigger guards they've played, but if that becomes an issue and James Madison is a matchup problem, that that is, like you mentioned, something to keep in mind as far as seeding. On the men and women's side, James Madison's the wild card in, on both sides. So just something to keep a, an eye on. All right, we'll take a timeout. We'll be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us our friend, Mr. Nick Fontenot. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay, Kevin. How about you? Well, I, I you may, maybe maybe our roles are going to be reversed here today. Tell me if you agree or disagree with me. Where we feel, where I kind of feel today about the Pelicans. I actually feel worse than I did when they were on their ten-game losing streak. Yeah, no, we're uh, we don't we're not reversed. We're in the exact same seat there. It's uh, it's it's not looking real good. The, the news that came out this week about Zion Williamson is disheartening. It's not, you know, if I'm being honest, it's not entirely surprising. I did think from the reports and stuff that he was going to come back after the break, but you know, in reality, I I, I felt it in my heart that that it was going to be worse. And, you know, his injuries just seem to drag and, and, and be worse than they, they really should be. So, no, it's definitely it's definitely a, it's definitely a worse situation than before the uh, – than, than during the streak. All right. So, I, I have people tell me sometimes, well, everybody has injuries, which is just true but just so deceiving. Came out yesterday. Statistically, uh, the Saints were the fourth injured team in, out of 32 in the NFL – this year and last year, they were either first or second. I know it was the most injured, most games missed in franchise history. But I want to say, like, the uh, Titans had a really bad year with injuries as well. So they were either first or second last year. This season, the Saints were fourth uh, most injured team. So my question is, when you look at a fan base, and I understand not all Saints fans are Pelican fans. I'm one of those. But, like... What other example is there? Like, who else's professional sports teams, their best players never play for, like, three years in a row? Like, is, is this even, like, who, any? who else deals with this? 
Yeah, we don't know because we only follow our team. We, you know, I think a lot of people say everybody has injuries because, you know, Kevin, it's probably true. But, you know, we're so invested into our teams that those injuries matter to us more. I don't know if the, the Dolphins or the Ravens had any offensive linemen that missed time this year, but I know the Saints did. Almost the entire line did. Well, so, yeah, but who know, else is top four injured teams two years in a row? Top I don't know, four. But I'm, really take, I'm really taking it on the chin right now. I, 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 I don't. It's it's hard to continue to point to the injuries, but it does seem like the injuries are the culprit. So they are. Know, so, but I'm know. saying is why always so injured? Maybe they eating too much food down there. I don't. I don't know what. Just, what could it possibly be? Does it? I mean, I mean, it could be the turf. Could be the way they train. Could be the train. I mean, there's all kind of. They've had issues with medical staff before. But I mean, it, again, the turf is part of it. Anymore. I think they were, they were sharing medical staff in the past, but, but all the medical staff is completely separate. So I don't think we can, we can point to that. It, it, it is discerning, and it's especially Zion's injuries. Uh, they happen every year, and they seem to be more, I guess, major than other people who have similar injuries. I mean, this is a hamstring injury, which is very serious, but it shouldn't be something that derails you for the rest of the season. And now we're talking about a best-case scenario where he comes back for the last five games of the season. That's not going to happen. They're just going to shut him down. Like that's, that's kind of what I thought right when it happened. I even told one of my friends, this three to six weeks is going to turn out to be the rest of the season, and, and, and that's kind of what it's going to be. So I don't know what it is, but, yeah, you're right. The Saints and the Pelicans have, have both faced a lot of injuries, and, and I'm sitting here taking on the chin both sides. Unbelievable. So, okay, if you just say, okay, I don't, I don't want to use excuses. We got to do this and we got to do this. Like, when you play bad defense for an extended period of time, how do you improve on defense? Well, they have to improve on defense and offense. I mean, defense defense is going is to win you the games. Offense is going to sell you the tickets. That's the, the common adage. But both have been bad and. You know, we talked about Willie Green a couple of times. I just don't think he has that ability to make those adjustments. And right now, we don't have anybody on the staff to do that. We we need a better second chair, if you will, a better assistant sitting right by Willie to make those adjustments because Willie's strongest point and, and the thing that he hangs his hat on is his ability to motivate and get guys ready to play. And he's even he's even kind of taking a backseat on that this year. I mean, he's not really getting on guys. He's not holding anybody accountable. He's not, you know, aside from a, a couple of times with Trey Murphy on the sideline that we've seen him kind of get, get into somebody, he's not really doing that either. So, you know, when it, it, it's, it's easy to be motivating and easy to get up to play and have fun when you're winning, but w- when you're losing is when we really need you to do that work and kind of get us out of this rut. And, and, and right now it's, it's just not happening. The 10-game losing streak was really bad. And right now I know they, they're not on a three-game losing streak, but they played bad enough to lose to the Thunder. They, they squeaked out that win, so we'll take it. But the, the last three games have not been good. So they, they had the 10-game losing streak, the three wins were good, and then they kind of fell back right into the old stuff after the Zion news. So I, 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 you asked me right when we started this little segment if Willie Green was the right coach, and I told you I hadn't lost confidence in him. And I'm not all the way in the losing confidence boat, but, man, it's just waning by the day with these constant games and watching them play uninspired and make no adjustments and, and really really Green having no effect on the games. Okay, my, my contention with the Saints is that there, there, there were things that happened this season well within their ability, not even just within their ability, should have been – 
almost mortal lock kind of things that if they just happen, the Saints win 10 games and they're in the playoffs. Like missing 35-yard field goals with no win indoors. NFL veterans not fumbling the football. Uh, knowing where to run out of, out of bounds. Just basic stuff. So what within their, their, their reasonable or maybe even above average ability to do, have they not been doing that they can do, or is this or, is, or can the Pelicans do from here on out to, to, to win more games? Identify the mismatch in the middle with Jonas Valanciunas. It is that simple. When they get the ball to him against teams like the Lakers, where Anthony Davis is not going to play a strong five and, and, and Jonas is going to have a mismatch there, he will have the ability to get you 20 points and 12 rebounds every night. Now, some games it's not going to be a mismatch, like against Nikola Jokic and the Nuggets. It's probably not a good idea to go to, to Jonas, Jonas. But most of the games that they play, as long as Zion's not out, run the offense through him. And it's like, like the other night against Lakers, he was three for four. And every time you got him the ball, he scored, and then they just abandoned him in the third quarter. And then Brandon Ingram and Trey Murphy kind of fell apart in that third quarter, and, and, and the game got away from him. So it, it, get the ball to the big man inside. He's not, he's not a fantastic, unbelievable, unstoppable player, but he is very effective in the paint, and they just don't utilize him very much. So while you're struggling and, and this roster's makeup is kind of weird and you're getting used to the addition to Josh Richardson and all that stuff, Go inside to the big man, play old school basketball, and I think you could probably steal away some of these wins. You're not, I, mean, I don't think you're going to win a championship doing that, but when you're going on 10 game losing streaks and now, right now, losing two or three, you could probably steal one of those wins. I think they would have beat the Lakers if they go inside more. So it's, it's that. It's, for, me, for me, it's that. I think more, many people could point to many other things, but for me, if they went inside more and, and stopped relying on Brandon Ingham to be a hero, I think they would be able to steal some of these games. What are your what are your initial impressions of Richardson? I like him. I like him, and I, and, I, and I, I've heard a lot of arguments that he, he should be starting in favor of Herb Jones, and I don't really hate that idea. I mean, I like Herb, and Herb has been fine, but man, he, he's just he's exactly what you need. He's the perfect bench guy, Kevin. Like he comes off the bench and, and gives you good energy. So while I I, I, I wouldn't mind if he started, I do like what he brings off the bench. He comes in, he he gives good looks. It's, it's not even the scoring. It's it's the he makes the right offensive play. You know he's played in San Antonio and played in Miami under really good coaches, and he just understands the game. And so he's making in that game against Oklahoma City. I think he was a big reason why they won, making the right pass and making the right read, taking the right shot when it was available to him, and, and things like that. So and, and great defense, great energy. So I'm very impressed with him. Um, I, I like what he brings to the table. I, I, like like I said, whenever we signed him. Not a real exciting player, not a real exciting name, but I do think he makes the team better. And so far, my impression has been very positive of him. How worried now are you about the long-term potential of Herb Jones? It's worrisome. I mean, he's definitely taking a step back. I, I think he picked up his game a, a couple of a couple of games uh, during the during the little three-game winning streak where he kind of turned it around and kind of started playing hard. But, but yeah, it's, it's definitely concerning. And long-term, long I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think towards the maybe the middle part of the next uh, few games, I think Josh Richardson is probably going to take his spot. And then we're going to see what he's made up of mentally because last season you know, he became a starter as a rookie, and I think that, that mentally helps you play better. And off the bench, I, I don't know if he's going to be as effective. So, yeah, it's, it's very concerning. I still like him. I haven't given up on him. I'm, 
But, man, he, he's really regressed. And, and Trey Murphy's kind of taking that next step, even though he played horribly against the Lakers. But Trey Murphy's kind of taking that next step into being what we thought he was going to be last year. And, and Herb's kind of taking a step back. So, so yeah, it, it, is, it is kind of concerning. And, and the, the addition of Josh Richardson could very much affect Herb Jones' minutes. All right. So, if our well, at least some of our nightmares happen and, and Derek, Carr does not sign with the Saints. If that happens, do you have any wild card card hunches that you haven't relayed to us yet on who the Saints starting quarterback is going to be next year if it's not Derek Carr? All of the obvious ones have been kind of said. Uh, the, the one name that I've heard that nobody really talked about is Cooper Rush. No, I mean, I'm not really crazy about that, but that's just one name that's been thrown about that I haven't really heard too, too much about, but, you know, the, the normal suspects that we've been hearing, Baker Mayfield and Ryan Tannehill and all that stuff, I mean, those are just kind of kind of the options. I don't think they're going to go after Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm, I'm with you on that. So uh, I think Cooper Rush should be a wild card, but, I mean, all signs point to uh, running it back with Andy Dalton. And, I, I mean, I just, I just don't want to do that. I, I would take Baker Mayfield over Andy Dalton just because I know exactly what I'm going to get with Andy Dalton, and it's not going to be – anything successful where Baker Mayfield could come in and yeah, he, he might be, he might be terrible and worse, but at least there's a chance that he could be better. There's no chance Andy Dalton can be better. We maximized what the team was going to be with Andy Dalton this year. No, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true because Andy Dalton was not the reason they didn't win 10 games, even though he drives me crazy because he backs up and takes sacks. They didn't win 10 games because 41 and 22 fumbled too much and the kicker can't make a kick. Yeah, I agree, but Kevin, we maximized him. He gave us his max effort. Now, I'm not saying that Saints didn't win because of him. That was his max effort, and his max effort wasn't good enough to overcome mistakes from the rest of the team. In that Steelers game, I think a better quarterback could have brought us back down 10 when we got the ball. Oh, yeah. No, look. Andy Andy Dalton, a crawfish is square peg round hole. This is a team that needs a quarterback that can throw the ball down the field, and they don't have one. I mean, it's just there's no no doubt about that. I know you don't like to give quarterbacks a whole lot of credit, but they do matter a lot. And if we had a good one, I think we would have won a few more games than we did last year. So you don't have a wild card uh, hunch is what you're telling me. I, I just – I really don't want it to be Andy Dalton. I, I just – I don't I, – But you, I, but I, you I, also – you're, you're like Dawson and all these other people. Y'all, y'all, y'all forget – that quarterback is a leadership position, and when you have a punk as a leader, how can it work? I I I hear what you're saying. I I would rather roll the dice I, I, because if I roll the dice with Andy Dalton, I know Kevin, our players are going to make mistakes. Like we're going to have we're going to have more mistakes made, and we're going to need a quarterback to overcome it. And Andy Dalton's not that guy. If everything goes great and perfect, yeah, we'll take Andy Dalton, but we can't rely on everybody else being great, and then we'll just live with what Andy Dalton does. Sometimes we're going to need the quarterback to be the reason why we win games, and I don't think Andy Dalton was the reason we won any games last year. All I'm saying is if if they end up signing someone and we all go, huh, I didn't think about that guy, I'm going to be mad at all of us because, like, we've been talking about this forever. There's got to be somebody else out there, and it can't be Cooper Rush. <laughs> Man, I just – I, I don't want I don't listen I don't want Baker Mayfield I'm not like oh. pushing for it but 
But man, if that happens, I would, I would look. I've had to overcome too much the last three or four years, and and remain as unbelievably glass half full as I still am. And and, and to be inflicted with Baker Mayfield, that would just be cruel <laughs> and unusual punishment. So please make sure that does not happen. I appreciate for your, your time. For your- for your personal health, I'm going to try not to make Baker Mayfield. Yeah, please make sure that doesn't happen. Thank you, sir. <laughs> All right, Floyd, thanks. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us the McNeese play-by-play man, Mr. Tom Hafer. How are you, sir? Hello. All right, we'll try to get Tom back there. McNeese got a big victory last night. You know, things a couple weeks ago were looking about as dismal for McNeese as they were for the Pelicans and LSU men's basketball team. But now they've won three games in a row. They're back to a four-way tie for sixth place as they try to at least finish in the top eight. And so we'll see what happens. Uh, And they had a very exciting victory over Incarnate Word last night. Hello, Tom. Hey, how are you? Well, I'm doing pretty well. I know the Cowboys are doing a little better. I mean, it's, um, you know, sometimes – the difference between, you know, we when, when, if you lose three or four or five or ten in a row and then you win three or four in a row like me, me, with three to me, you know, there's really not that much difference between the, the difference when you win one of these games and lose one of these games, especially if you're winning and losing by one or two or three points. But w- what can you identify as the biggest difference? The biggest difference that's tangible is free throw shooting, and a good percentage of that has come from – Christian Shoemate, who's is really the best player on the team, but he, he got off to an absolutely disastrous start to the season from the foul line. He was in the twenty seven percent range, like in December, and uh, he he was he's never been a good free throw shooter. But uh, I mean, he was he was just not usable, you know, down the stretch. He's your best player, uh, best offensive player, best defensive player. And uh, you get down in the into crunch time, and uh, you know he misses the front end of a one and one or whatever. Uh, but he's been fantastic here in the last uh, three ball games. Uh, he's got his his percentage up over fifty percent. That's not normally something that you celebrate. But uh, you know he was ten or twelve last night. He scored thirty plus points. He got the game winning dunk um, in overtime, and it, it was a remarkable performance. In general, though, yeah, you're right. There isn't a whole lot of difference. The Cowboys have been playing these close games throughout the conference season, and they play up to the level of of the good teams, and and sometimes they're playing down to the level of the bad teams, and it's a little frustrating. But uh, you take the three in a row after – you know, the nine-in-a-row losses, it was so frustrating and so close in so many of those contests. All right, so I want to take a step back. I know the goal you, you want to, you know, you're hosting, and, you know, I remember that, the Cajun baseball team, the year after they won 
the uh, or the year the year after they went to the College World Series, the next year they were hosting the the conference tournament. And they didn't even qualify for it. So well, yeah. uh, we we've got experience. You know, it's happened before. But my question is, what is the thinking? Is it just a pure money saving deal for a couple of institutions? Like, what is the thinking of not letting everyone in the tournament? Do you think? I I I, I can't really say that. I mean, it's a it's a ten team basketball conference and that's an awkward number uh but you could you could work it out with the you know the the buys and and however you wanted to do it to make it happen um i i can't tell you exactly why that's been done by the south conference um they they just let eight of the ten in and they they still have buys and and uh you know days off within the tournaments to make it uh you know, advantageous to get the better the the better seed, et cetera. So I, I don't I don't quite understand it. I don't know. Um, Maybe just a reward kind of thing. You know, because I've always kind of bought the theory that some float out there that we say, well, in a sense, if you look at conference tournaments, everyone kind of makes the tournament. In other words, it's yeah. your vehicle. It's like the it's like the college basketball version of the play-in for the NBA that they're doing now. Like, everyone has the ability to play themselves in as long as everyone's eligible for the conference tournament. Yeah, it would be a better method in my estimation. I, 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 I get your question. I don't understand it either. All right, so you kind of look at the rest of the games, and it's pretty easy to say, well, two and two's a reasonable prediction, Will two yep. and two get it, or what do you think it's going to take? To, to... <laughs> it's so funny because you've got three the, the 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 conference standings right now. They show you know two teams definitely up at the top. That's um, you know that's Northwestern State and A uh, and M Corpus Christi, who would play you know tomorrow. And then there's the definite middle bunch of uh, above five hundred but not great teams in Nickel Southeastern and, and Commerce. And then everybody else is is bunched into the bottom. The final um, five teams, four of them at five and nine, and New Orleans at four and ten. And uh, so now you're looking at who's got the tough schedules and who's got the easy schedules, and you just don't know. You're also got the tiebreakers thrown in there because you know um, we're one and one with Lamar. Well, how does that shake out? We're one and one with Incarnate Word. How does that shake up if we end up tied? It's all uh, it's a big mess. Um, I got nothing except, uh, yeah, maybe two and two is enough. I don't know. It's, it's going to be uh, it's going to be right down to the final seconds in a lot of these games. And the women are in a very similar kind of situation, right? I mean, just yeah, really, yeah. They have they have dropped down. They've lost their last three. They were looking good. Uh, it's crazy. As soon as the guys got hot, the girls cooled off, and and they were really not good at all against Incarnate Word last night and uh, and have dropped three in a row. And now they're in the bubble situation the same way the men are. And you didn't think that was going to happen. Uh, they've had some injuries, but but um, I don't think that's an excuse. They just have not played well, uh, especially defensively. They gave up a whole bunch of threes last night. Um, it, it's, uh, it's a tough thing. they got to turn it around in a hurry. I think they've got the talent, too. They're, they're pretty good in a lot of ways. They've got a lot of depth. But uh, it's some things aren't working right now. Well, and the thing though that would give me some hope if I was a McNeese fan is it's not like you haven't shown that you can beat the upper echelon teams because you have a win over Southeastern, you have a win over Northwestern State. 
Yeah, it's it's crazy for for the men. They, we mentioned that they play up to the level of their opponents and down to the level of their opponents. Just about every game is close, and uh, you know there have been a couple of exceptions on on the road against better teams um, in the conference. But for the most part, they've just been right in on it. Uh, and because they've had the men, because they've had a lack of depth, uh, you could really see in a few of those ball games that they just didn't have the gas to to. Uh, you know, to finish those games, they they couldn't finish at all, and some of it was just the the fact that they wore out. It's a little concerning. You know, last night's game went to overtime. Some of the some of the guys played forty four minutes of the forty five right. in the game. You know, so you worry about them Saturday against a team like uh, like A and M Corpus Christi. That's really good if they're if they're going to have the legs to to handle that. You know, they're down to eight guys. It was. Oh, the, oh, woe is us. We've been playing with nine for a month, and now they're, they lost Ty McMillan to a knee injury. And it really, it's down to eight guys. So they, there's not a lot of, uh, of depth. And last night there was some foul trouble on both teams. And, uh, and boy, you, you, can't, you can't lose anybody. Yeah, and no, that the, the Saturday part of a Thursday, Saturday, especially if, you don't, if you're not nine or ten deep, is, is extra challenging. Well, at least they've made it interesting going to the stretch drive. We'll see what happens. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Appreciate it. Thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. King cake season is here, and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar-coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. <clears throat> All right. I've been rebuked via text because I said the weather might be bad tonight. And I've been told that there's not a cloud within 500 miles of this of South Louisiana right now and that it's really a cold weather thing. But regardless of the reason, and look, I, I get it. Uh, you know, I say all the time, I said it earlier this week, 50 degrees, 45 degrees in football season is not the same temperature as 50 degrees or 45 degrees in baseball or softball season. It is just not the same. Even though that may sound crazy, it's not the same. But whatever the reason, LSU baseball has moved its night game home opener against Western Michigan to a 3 o'clock first pitch. And again, you can hear that um, right here on the game. All right. So as we, you know, the good thing is, obviously we, you know, we're not dealing with much on the SEC side on the men with LSU, but uh, the Sunbelt Conference, it has every reason to think that it's going to be very exciting and that going into these last three games in the Southland Conference, at least there's something to play for there. So it, basketball will at least keep the interest of many of the um, 
basketball fans in, in in this area, and of course the LSU women, you know, probably will be going on the on the on the LSU SEC side will be going further than any of the teams we're talking about. So the you know that will keep the attention of LSU and SEC fans in this area even longer. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Kevin, uh, I don't know if you got to see any of the other games out there at uh, that tournament occasions again. I watched Oklahoma State and I watched UCLA just to see what they looked like. You know, Kevin, these girls, most of these girls on these teams, they're, they're not even girls, they, they, they're women. They've been there five years. They're 22 or three, 23 years old, where our girls are 17 and 18 and 19. I mean, how much longer we got with this extra COVID year? Is this the last year or next year? Gonna be well, year? I, I, I thought most of it was done uh, after last season, but apparently not for everybody. But Taylor, uh, Taylor Rome's uh, example, she, she, she had a COVID year, but she said, what is she? Oh, no, she's still a sophomore. It's crazy, yes. Um, I mean, look, it's, it's a shame. I mean, look, I saw uh, UCLA last night. They lost their shots. She hit a home run and got hurt while she hit the home run. I'm pretty sure she'll be out, but I don't think it's going to affect those teams there. They just got they just, it's like a you know, one woman goes out and the other one comes out. They don't have to bring a little girl. They could just bring women in there. You know, I mean, it's like they, they uh, you know, they. Uh, but it is what it is, you know. But I, uh, I, I think I go. I really don't think they played well yesterday. They left a lot of runners in score position with less than one, uh, one out at third base. I just hope uh, maybe Jerry can get to the head. They're going to have to play a lot better to beat their better team. No, I agree with that. Offensively, they're going to have to play better for sure. Yes. All right, y'all have a good weekend. Thank you. I um, again, I thought they'd hit and score more runs against Indiana. I agree with FedEx man there. I um, you know, they didn't play. They they made a couple defensive plays that were not good, and you know, he asked. Cecilia Vasquez to get a squeeze bun down and she popped it up. That's not good. So there were some things that happened that weren't good. No question. There was a drop pop-up. Um, and so there were some things that weren't good, but they got the win. Hopefully they settle down a little bit and can eliminate those things um, when, when, when they play the better teams. Yeah, the thing to remember also about the COVID years, you know, talking about people who have like fifth year, sixth year seniors. Everyone who was play who was on the roster at the time got an extra year in 2020. So, if freshmen in 2020 even can then redshirt and then still have a COVID year, so like you're going to be seeing fifth and sixth year senior this like whole thing until at least like 2025. So that's not going to go away because in again you've got yeah you like you mentioned you've got people right now who are listed as sophomores that have been there four years. Um, same thing with like Kobe Julian. He's one of yeah. them. He got an, now Kobe's gotten like medical red shirts and other. So he's going to be if he wants to, he's going to be playing till he's 25, 26 years old. So I got to tell you, I, I don't I, I it's hard to see a ceiling for Taylor Roman right now. It, it I don't I don't know what's going to happen. I don't um, it. I don't know. Just doesn't seem like I don't know that she's ever going to be able to get enough at bats to get consistent enough to fulfill what the potential it looked like she had. Yeah, and we'll see if if she kind of forces her way in the lineup more often, which that's going to kind of be a trend throughout this early portion of the season, specifically this gauntlet that they're in right now is 
who does enough to take any doubt out and say, <clears throat> well, she, no matter what, she's got to be in the lineup. we got to find a spot for her, and we'll see how many of them are able to do that. i got to tell you, Carly Heath has kind of already done that. And, yeah, yeah. She you know, carried the offense yesterday. She she's got to early on at least. She she I think her bat's got to be in the lineup, and it just limits so many other things when when you do that. But it just it just is what it is. I mean uh, I don't all right right now anyway. I think Carly's bat's got to be in the lineup, and it's funny because he even hit her as a leadoff in one of the games um, in the Louisiana Classics this last weekend, but. I don't think she's a leadoff hitter, but I think um, she's got to be in the lineup and then figure everything else out. So we'll see how how that plays out. Again, it's it's really early. They played five games. That's it for the first hour. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. We've talked about a lot of different sports. There's just a lot going on right now. We've got the start of the softball season in the college level. The baseball season starts today. We've got basketball towards the end. Some conferences have four left. Some conferences have three games left. Reminder, the Cajuns, well, the Sun Belt, I should say, including the Cajuns, will finish up next week on Wednesday, Friday. Not an Easter situation. It is a um, trying to give everyone an extra day of rest before they go into conference play situation. I don't. Is that real? I mean, I guess it's nice, but is it really necessary? Like some of these teams won't be playing until the following Friday, but I guess some of them will be trying to travel to get there for Tuesday and such. So I guess it it, it makes sense to give them that extra day. So. Cajun men and women will both finish at home, and it will be Wednesday and Friday of this week. But before they get to that point, they need to they have they both have huge road games that on paper look a little different. We will see. Just to catch you up, if you have not been up on what everything that happened last night, the Cajun men crushed ULM. Um, again, the second straight game that they in the first game they jumped out to like I think it was twenty-one to four lead. Last night it was seventeen to five. They led by as many as thirty-one points in the game. <clears throat> and then, you know, they kind of got sloppy and it, that thirty-one point lead got dwindled down to thirteen at one point, but still they never came real close to they never came close to losing the game. But anyway. The men are now tied for second with Marshall. One game behind Southern Miss, which got plastered by South Alabama last night. Eighty South Alabama beat them by 31 points. Southern Miss is 12 and 3. The Cajuns and Marshall are 11 and 4. And James Madison is 10 and 5. The Cajuns will now travel 
tomorrow to play James Madison. And we've been talking a lot about how they are kind of the wild card team. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Troy is 9-6. and six. Troy seems to be the only team with only three games left that could potentially keep the Cajuns from – but I don't even know what the tiebreaker would situation would be there. Do you have any sense of what the tiebreaker situation with Troy would be since they so, split? So, yeah, head-to-head split. So then it goes, which it's different, though, if it's three teams that are tied versus two. But if it's just Cajuns and Troy for the last spot, I, as far as I know, it's then how they fared against the, the best top. team. Yeah, so right. whoever wins the conference, now that could also vary, though, because if it's Marshall, then that's great. If Marshall ends up winning the conference somehow, that's great for UL because they have – 1-0. If it's Southern Miss, UL is also 1-1 one one against them, but the good news for UL is that UL beat Southern Miss and almost no one else has, so they would have most of those tiebreakers because they're one of the only teams that's beaten Southern Miss. And Marshall. Yes. They're the only team, I think, that's beaten them both, so you, you definitely have that going for you. Alright, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Uh- all right, so we've got that on the men's side. The women's side, the women are really, it's, it looked like for a while there, it looked like Troy was going to run away with the league. And now with three games to go, you have a three-way tie for first and a three-way tie for fourth. And so you have six teams within one game of each other with three weeks to go. Uh, just very kind of strange the way it's worked out. And, you know, it makes it for, you know, it makes scoreboard watching a lot of fun down the stretch, especially when you have a second half like we had at the Cajun Dome last night where it was, you know, the game was never in doubt and it got sloppy and it was like, can we just get this game over with kind of thing? And so you're able to, to kind of watch some scoreboard and follow some of these other games, and that was good. That Marshall game, uh, which I was in the stands at UL but was watching on my phone, that was crazy. They were down 11 points with a minute 28 left, and they won the game in regulation against Georgia Southern. Like, how does that stuff happen? Just a couple of turnovers. I mean, they really – they didn't even – it wasn't even like some crazy stuff. Like, I mean, it was just – like, it wasn't like they got in one of those free throw competitions where they, yeah. they just forced turnovers consecutive three or four in a row, made a few layups, hit one big three – and then they were right back in the game. Georgia Southern made some free throws. Didn't matter. Marshall kind of – they went back and forth at the end there, and then Marshall hits a floater at the end, and then Georgia Southern had a terrible offensive possession to try to win the game. They don't even get a shot up, and that's a stolen one. Georgia Southern, they've had some games stolen from them this oh, year. Oh, no, huh? I still say you don't want to play in a conference tournament. You don't want to play South Alabama, and you don't want to play Georgia Southern. Uh, those are the teams that – I think are the wild card, dark horse teams in, in the Sunbelt Conference going to Pensacola. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Morning, Kevin. Good morning, sir. Kevin, listen, you know, Ronnie uh, uh, is my hero. You know, he's my idol. When he calls in, I, I really want to be like him. So sometimes I like to call and just go random like Ronnie. Okay, Kevin, you don't even, as far as the weather goes, you are, you are, you are out, you got to go to the games, you are, you're a newspaper man, but you know whatever they. I don't. That's what you. You know, originally was newspaper. I guess you still are. Uh, but you gotta know the weather. You don't even look at those. 
You don't even go on your phone and look and see like just the little cloud things or cloud. No, I, I don't. I am like no. I, I get caught yeah, where I don't have the umbrella. No, all the time. I, I'm not a weather watcher at all. <laughs> That's incredible, man. You know, because listen, I was always we had the guy on our. Co- you know, I hear well, you were a baseball coach. Uh, you had to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I was always the weather guy on our staff. You know. Coach Manny would say, all right, well, it's going to be the way, you know. And so, you know, I, I was kind of like the little peon way back in the day, and I didn't have a whole lot of responsibility. And, you know, Coach Manny didn't have time to look at the weather, so he'd say, what's the weather going to be? So, man, I could I tell him, you know, it made me feel a little more important. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, I was always a weather guy. It just kind of strikes me that you, you get, you're one of those people. Listen, there's a lot of them. It's, Walk outside and hey, that's the web. Yeah. The road. Okay. All right, Kevin. All right. Let you, now you got mad at you, you. Nick gives you a name and then you you you, you get on you get on the man like you don't want that name. He gives you some names and and you fussing at him. Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush. <laughs> Kevin, you don't want Cooper Rush. <laughs> what? what? What is this world coming to, Kevin <laughs> Cooper? Cook, you know you can say his name just like Baker Mayfield. <laughs> Cooper, right? <laughs> what? I mean, I, Kevin, if we, if we first, okay, we're not gonna have it. You know, we got we got negative NFL running backs now, Kevin, because our boy got indicted yesterday. He might be in jail, for all we know. Uh, well, we we he was in jail so, this year. Football wise, like we didn't even use. We made it. We turned them into a dump truck. Like how yeah, many games? How now many games be, did Z twenty eight play for the Saints this year? Seriously, like two. He played in like two games. I mean, yeah, but you know, listen. We relegated him to a dump truck for the rest of the game, so he's useless. <laughs> I mean, but now we might not even have him. You know what? We got negative running backs, Kevin. Negative. You ever heard of an NFL team with neg- no quarterback and negative running backs? I've never heard of that. One last thing, Kevin. I will say this. Nick's right about you. You do. I know you. And, you know, I'm not a quarterback worse, but, but you don't even like to give credit. Listen, when you have a great player, sometimes they make great plays. That's just the way it is. You don't even like to. You don't like to acknowledge that having a great quarterback puts you in position for him to make a great play sometimes. And I think that's what Nick's trying to point oh, out. Oh, look, I you want. Know, I'm not. Look, I'm not saying Derek Carr is a great quarterback, but I want Derek Carr. No. I want a quarterback who's capable of moving up in the pocket and throwing the ball down the yeah, field yeah, for yeah. forty I'm, I'm yards. Saying, you're saying that you know Nick's just saying you know he knows you're a quarterback. You're not a QW, but you got to admit. When you have one that's really good, like any other really good player, sometimes they make an exception. Oh, no, no, no. They, they make they, – like, they elevate like, your team. You like, know? So, like, like, like I ended yesterday's show with, though, Manny. Here's where I just – these kind of things I just can't get out of my mind. Most of the country does not know this. or No, they know it. They don't want to know it. The, the, the Ravens were one fluke play. Away from beating the Bengals. I heard you. I know, Kel. I know. Listen, I, it, it, it's not it's all true. the time. It's just it's if true. you have a top, a top guy, it's, it's true. Nice to have him. It's always the same. 
All right, Kevin, listen, man. All right. Man, stay warm. Where you, 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 you going to be this weekend? What you doing? Well, I'm going to be watching all these road games that everybody's on. We got the Cajuns oh, and so Rice. You really not worried about the weather. You really? No, oh, no I, I wanted to tell you, LSU, Kevin, it's too cold tonight. It's going to be 45 degrees at 7 o'clock. So they, it's not about any clouds or rain. <laughs> it's going to be too chilly. How about that, Kevin? Oh, okay, that's, okay, that's Manny the Weatherman. Yeah, you ever heard of something like that? Shenanigans, too chilly. All right, Kevin. Okay. All right, I'm great. <laughs> the man is rebuking me. I don't know. That's a lot of energy to bring to a phone call on a Friday. That's what we needed to yes. kind of keep us through. Yeah, I know. Man- Manny's, uh, I love I, Manny. I did think that was, uh, which LSU, because, I mean, but I don't know. It's only hurting them because they're probably going to have less attendance. But I was very surprised that they, I mean, you. But it's not it's, like you can't play baseball at 40 degrees. Right. But, it, but. It's um, it's not just any old weekday. It's kind of a holiday going into a Mardi Gras weekend. So I, I, I'm thinking a lot of people are probably not at work. Like if you're ever gonna do that on a on a weekday, Friday going into Mardi Gras weekend, you probably got a pretty good chance of more people being off. Yeah, that's fair. But like. I just kept thinking about, I mean, from a logistical standpoint, like, other than it being inconvenient, kind of, like, what really is the, it's not like there's any danger of it being a frost warning where you're going to have, like, you know, the field conditions are going to be impacted. So I just was surprised that it seemed like there wasn't, like, a real necessity to do it. I I think they're just being nice to their fans, maybe. Maybe so. And maybe themselves. Like, Like, the Cajuns last year, when they played in that, Round Rock Tournament, it had to just, I wasn't there, thankfully, but it had to just be miserable. Um, it was like in the 20s. UNO, so Tulane, I used to go to a ton of Tulane baseball games growing up, and they always would play at UNO, which is where my dad went early in the season in a midweek oh, game. Cold. The lakefront, oh. the wind blowing off the lake at UNO in yes. February, I've it is a there. miserable yeah. place to yeah. watch a baseball game. I agree. I agree. Now, I don't know that I, I probably – I've been there many times years ago, probably more in March than, than or April than it was in – seemed like I, for a while there, every Easter weekend, I, we, the Cages used to play at UNO. I'm talking about back in the 90s. But, um, but no, I'm not – I don't know if I've been there, and, but I've felt the wind, so I can imagine what it's like in February. So I'm with you there. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back, shift gears. Well, I'm not going to really shift gears. Talk Cajun baseball with Craig Malonso on next. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Z28. Z28. Now, a running back with great speed and start and go ability, like a Chevy Camaro that plays for the New Orleans Saints, also known as Alvin Camara. Now, back to the man with his very own language, Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with his old friend, Craig Melanson. How are you, sir? I am doing well. Uh, almost to Lake Charles with Dan, Mary Beth, and Sully. The weather looks beautiful outside, but when you stop, it's freezing. So. Yes, yes, yes. I, I, certainly that, that is the case. So, before we get talking about Cajun baseball, opens uh, 
regular season tonight at Reckling Park at Rice. I want I know you're an old we you and I love talking old baseball stuff. Tim McCarver died yesterday. What are, what are your memories or thoughts or appreciation for Tim McCarver? You know, I, I growing up I, I I enjoyed listening to Tim and uh the guys he was a staple and you know honestly I've forgotten about him until I heard the news that he had passed away yesterday. So a little bit of my childhood gone, but uh, it seems like all of our heroes or guys that we used to look up to are, are starting to fade away. I guess that happens when you get older. You know, um, we always talk about catchers and Coach Deggs, you know, he does the – he goes overboard with the whole – the star the stra- – that stirs the drink and, you know, how, you know, Julian Brock's a guy that brings the trips and the drinks and makes everything, you make sure the party happens kind of thing. But it's not just – man. and look, there's a lot of good managers who are catchers over the years, like a lot of them. And some pretty good announcers were catchers as well. And he's one of them, like Joe Garagiola. And, I mean, I don't know – like, I don't know what, like, the old school guys like Jerry Coleman, I don't know when any of those guys played position-wise, but the, the whole idea of the catcher and being good manager and good announcer and Tim McCarver's part of that. Well, you know, you you brought up uh, Joe Garagirola, and that's easy for me to say. Yeah. But, you know, you, you think that even uh, uh, Bob Uecker, I mean, the guys like that, that they are because – it's the one position in baseball, in my opinion, that you have to be alert every minute because something's going on there. And that's where when people say baseball is boring, I say, well, you're not watching the game then because there's always the game within the game. And if you watch what the catcher is doing, he's moving not as much nowadays because the managers or the coaches are coming out of the dugout to shift position players around. But back you know, when I was growing up, the catcher was responsible for all of that. Uh, they were the field general. so And they're playing every day, not like a pitcher. The pitcher's there once every four days. And in college baseball, it's once a week. <laughs> right. So you need that. You, you, Coach Rove used to talk about the alpha male, and, and that's where your catcher comes in as being an important part. Absolutely. All right. So I think there's a very interesting dynamic with this baseball season that's about to start with this Cajun baseball team, and that is – most of us to all of us have very high, pretty high to very high expectations for this team. And yet we all know how important pitching is. And there's nothing but question marks on the entire pitching staff. Like we hardly know there are no like constants or no givens or what we perceive as givens. And yet we have very high expectations for this team. How do you kind of see all that? Well, it, it reminds me somewhat of the 2015 team that you had Chris Charpentier opening up on uh, starting pitcher on opening night, and by the end of the season, you had three freshman starters in the lineup. I'm not—I don't think you're going to see three, three freshman starters this year because you've got uh, a senior and Jake Hamilton uh, and two transfers coming in. I think it is the biggest question, but at the same time, that's what college baseball is. You know, I talked to Coach Tibb about that uh, at the end of last season. He said, well, you know, we're losing all our starting pitchers. I said, but don't you do that pretty much? Not maybe every year, but pretty often in college baseball. You're not getting these guys for five or six years. And especially with now 
kind of going back to the pre-COVID, you're, I think we're going to see that a little bit more often. Well, you know, it's going to be interesting. Last year, the bullpen became the starting rotation. And and they're trying that a little bit with Jake Hammond, like you said, because he's a guy who wasn't like one of their main guys, but at times he was, you know, a, a legitimate option in the pen. And now he's an opening day starter. They talk about his leadership. And and I love, I love what Coach um, Degg says. He said he throws a heavy ball. And, and I um, – I comment about that every once in a while um, with a chat group, a heavy ball. So kind of what are your expectations for him? It's going to be interesting to see how he makes that transition. It is, especially with the weather. I heard y'all talking about the weather uh, before I came on. And I think the weather as a fan is one thing sitting there, but the the pitching is the hardest part of that, adjusting to the weather. I'd be surprised if Jake goes more than five innings tonight. But at the same time, I think he's being rewarded as a leader, as a senior member of the ball club. I think there's so many things that he brings to the team and the respect that he gets from the other players. So I think Jake is going to be a very, very interesting. I hope he's one of the guys that you got. I think everybody is pulling for. Absolutely. So also many, you know, those of us who have been around forever, like you and Dan and, and me and some other people, Remember uh, Blake McGee's dad, Kevin, pitching for Louisiana Tech, um, you know, what, 30 years ago, whenever that was. So, um, and, and and hearing Coach Deggs describe him as a Marcus Stroman, Bronson Arroyo, Johnny Cueto type guy. In other words, guys that are not just trying to blow you away, but trick you a little bit in how they pitch. That's going to be interesting to watch him go about uh, a game. I think he he's the best example of probably being a, a robe type pitcher, meaning that he's going to move the ball into different spots on the plate. You know, uh, you see that now, uh, especially that Coach Robichaud on the softball side, what he's done for the pitchers there. They're no longer trying to overpower people with a fastball. They're moving the ball around, and I think that's what McGahee does. It does and will do for the Cajuns coming up this season. All right, so there was a little bit of a, of a curveball thrown to us by Coach Deggs on Monday in the weekly presser that Max Morshock, we all kind of figured that he was going to be playing the infield, but early on when we talked to him, he was saying second base. And in the last week of uh, January or whatever, preseason camp, whatever you want to call it, uh, he was going to be at third base. So, Kind of what were your impressions and thoughts when you heard that? Uh, you know, you called me about that, and I was kind of shocked, quite honestly. But at the same time, if you look at the guys that were playing third base and that are going to probably move to second base, I think Marshock's got the strongest arm out of all of them. And I like Peyton Lejeune playing at second uh, just because of uh, it's not as hot of a, uh, of a position meaning there's not as, hopefully not as many balls coming to him in that position. But I, I like Marshawk at third. I mean, I think you can look at it uh, going back to last year. Tyler Robinson was our best center fielder until Marshawk came in. And uh, you, you move Marshawk now to third. We've got so many guys that can play the outfield right now. you got to figure out what's your best lineup. And don't be shocked this weekend either if you see Marshawk at second. 
and somebody else at third. I think you're going to see three different lineups come this weekend. No, not, not none of that would surprise me. In fact, you know we've all we've seen it ourselves and saw it before he even came back to to be the head coach of the program. Coach Deggs is someone who does the where in the middle of an inning he'll move to second baseman to third and vice versa. Yeah, that's kind of frustrating as fans, I think. But at the same time, uh, you do what it takes to win. I'm not a fan of it, but I get why he's doing it. So. I think from a, you know, you look kind of behind the, the game, not just watching the game. And I think from a baseball analytical standpoint, one of the most fascinating things about this season is going to be this big push. And it, look, it, he's absolutely correct. But the big push that Coach Deggs and I'm sure Coach Wells and them are, have been doing is on you got to get on base more. That the on base percentage of this team last year was not good enough. It just wasn't. And so, you know, you look at a guy like Max Morshock who's got all this speed, his on base percentage was not good at all. And so the 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 team watching the team try to be more patient and yet stay aggressive, which to me is a, a very fascinating dynamic and increased the on base percentage. How how they do that's gonna be fascinating to watch. I think that's one of the hardest things to do in baseball is to be patient but yet be aggressive like you talked about. But I'll tell you, I ran the numbers last year. When we stole a base, whether we got on base by a walk or a single, when we stole a base, that person scored 70% of the time. When that guy was at first base and he was even moved over where they hit, the number was about 30% of the time. So you can see what stealing bases does. And you can also, what it does to the opposing team, uh, I, 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 t- I talked with Bobby the other day, Nova, uh, about, the, I said the biggest surprise to me about uh, softball was Haley Hayden uh, got caught stealing a base. But it was, it was the perfect throw. And I think that's what you're telling the opposing team. If you're going to beat me, it's got to be a perfect throw. And when Marshock, Hood, all those guys get on base, we've got speed. So use it. Yeah, and I, I I definitely think they will. The other thing that I'm going to be anxious to see is how much progress, if any, that Kyle DeBarge is able to make as a shortstop. I thought he was solid offensively for a true freshman last year, was able to advance runners and stuff when he needed, and he was obviously spectacular defensively. But if he gives them even, you know, makes progress offensively, this could be a really good lineup. I think two keys – to the offense right now. One, you talked about Kyle DeBarge. It, hopefully he doesn't go into the sophomore slump. But if he continues, and if Julian Brock hits the ball like he did at the, at the end of last season, this team will win a lot of games. I thought Julian made a lot of hard outs last season, and so I, I really expect that to even out. But it was funny because Kyle DeBarge is – he might be the most confident athlete I've ever covered at UL. Like, let, let's just put it that way, okay? That's a nice way of putting it. So, when I brought up the concept in the in the in our media day little interview, when when I brought up the concept of a sophomore jinx, uh, it, I don't think that's in his mindset. Let's put it that way. Oh, I don't think it is either. <laughs> I mean, but it's something. And, and people will say that if he starts out 0 for 8. But, you know, you look at guys like uh, Blake Trahan and, and those guys like that, some of them did start out. Uh, even uh, 
Dexter set started out one for 23 or something that year, and then almost set the single season batting average. I think where he is placed in the lineup will have a, a lot of keys for him. If we can protect him, I like him at the beginning of the lineup, but Marshak, you know his speed. He's good at the beginning of the lineup. You have to protect Kyle DeBarge, and I think he'll do well. All right, one more thing. Is it fair to say you expect a sweep this weekend, or is that do you have too much baseball in you like me to be able to say that? Uh, it's funny you bring that up. I, I, I wanted to type that all week long. I do expect a sweep. I mean, but it is baseball, so you never know what's going to happen. And if baseball hits you, you know what happens there. It doesn't matter. The year the Red Sox won the World Series, the Astros were the worst team in the league, and they were only swept by one team or two teams that year. They won a game in every series. So baseball will get you sometimes. All right, sir. Well, I appreciate good talking to you. Y'all have safe travels and uh, enjoy the game. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Benedict Arnold's. Benedict Arnold's. Now, an NFL expansion team that stole a bunch of Saints players and coaches when first created, also known as the Carolina Panthers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. The game hotline is 706-0111. You can get in this segment and the next one. So no more interviews today. It was a heavy interview day. So if you would like to get in, certainly feel free to do so. Again, the the um, hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. I can already tell. Once again, Dawson and I are just getting to know one another. We haven't been working together that long, but I can already tell, and a lot of people don't get this, but I can already tell when I say that's baseball, you're going to get what that means. Like people say, that's football or that's basketball. It's just not the same as saying that's baseball. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a game of of low percentages and a game of inexact science and, I mean, a game where you can hit a ball 120 miles an hour and get out or you can hit a 40-mile-an-hour blooper for a double. I mean, it's just it's a weird game. It's, it is definitely that. It, it, it can drive you bonkers. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Driving bonkers. Yo, man, there's a lot of things to do that drive people bonkers. Kevin, do you watch TV a lot? Uh, I guess you'd say I watch TV a lot. What do you mean? Oh man, I mean it's it just it's it just crazy. I, and I told you years ago it was all over, but look, I'm telling you, people make some of the, and look, you you put <clears throat> excuse me, you producers and y'all, you TV directors and you CEOs, whoever you guys are, y'all listening to the show, pay attention. Stop making stupid stuff like cocaine bear. What kind of junk is that, Kevin? Cocaine bear. I don't even know Think what you're talking that. about. 
it's a dumb move. They, um, they put it out right before the Super Bowl or whatever. Now it's some kind of dumb movie with a bear at a campsite or somewhere getting a hold of some cocaine and he go crazy. <laughs> come on, cat. Come on, cat. I'm like, come on now. Come on now. And I'm looking at that. I'm like, they show this every day. And I'm like, what the hell are these people doing? I'm like, what? What put what Look, put you in that frame of mind as a director or whatever you are making films and you decide to make a movie called Cocaine Bear? Really? <laughs> really? Well, on, again, everyone's lost their minds. No, I'm with no, you. Everyone's no, lost their minds. Lost their mind? Huh? It's more than that. I told you, Kevin, <laughs> when that stuff started years ago, it was all over. <laughs> Everything has changed since then. Think about that, how far we came now in films. To where a dumb director and all these guys, all the great films that came out in the history now, all the great actors they got, actresses, everything, you going to make something called Cocaine Bear, <laughs> where a bear is full of cocaine. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on, now. Uh, I told you that stuff, I told you, it's all over, Kevin. Things are not the same. You think? People are going, people are going crazy. Movie directors going crazy. Sup. Something tells me everything is crazy. Rockefeller, something something tells me the guy who did that movie does not eat unfrosted Pop Tarts. Oh, (laughs) I guarantee Kevin. There's no telling what that cat eats. That cat (laughs) makes a movie called Cocaine Bear. He he, he, he eats some stuff worse than the frosted Pop Tarts. (laughs) 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 I'm like, dude. Think about that, dude. Uh, All the terrible I, stuff. I, I really, I, I have Super no Bowl idea what you're talking else. about. And so. these cats put out cocaine bear. All right. Stevie All right. P, where we at when you need you? Catch your head, cat. <laughs> I did not expect to get that phone call today. Uh, you know, may, some of you may know what he's talking about. I really, I, I have no idea. I, I on Super Bowl day. We, you know, the game was on, but I was, you know, just to kind of jokingly brag a little bit. Our favorite family game, I won. So um, I w- it's a game that takes a little while to play, and I won the game. And so I was um, too busy winning the game to worry about the commercials or any promos for movies. And of course I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like Ronnie. If once I heard that, I would have checked out anyway. So anyway, that, you know, but no, um, baseball is just different. And I always say to myself, you know, everyone's, you see all this stuff, people counting down the days to the start of baseball season whether it's major league or college baseball. And I say, just make sure I I, I often say to myself or to other people who, who do that countdown, make sure you're really ready because it's just, it's just different. It's, it's just about every day. I can tell you one thing. My wife's not ready. Michelle's not ready. I texted on our little family um, text group. I like, who is ready for baseball season? <laughs> Too many of them ready. Uh, it's just, it's just about every day, and each game is completely unpredictable. Like most basketball games and football games, 
you know, there are exceptions, but most of them, you kind of know who the better team is, and that better team normally wins. Not always, but normally. In baseball, the team with the worst record in the league could just easily be the team with the best record in the league any given day. It's just it's just totally different. So, um, you know, just make sure you're ready. Everybody, a lot of people do the countdowns and in social media or just in normal conversation. Just make sure you're ready because it's just totally different. I think I'm more ready than I thought I was going to be. Maybe I'm fooling myself, but I think it's just because it's a hammock season. I'm more ready for baseball now than I normally am in mid-February. Normally I'm like, oh, I'm still struggling from, you know, football season. And I am still struggling from football season. But I, I think I'm ready. Are you ready? You keep laughing. Are you ready? Are you looking at me with a... It's a hammock season, though. Yeah. It really doesn't matter. That's what's great about it. Oh, no. And the crazy thing is, again, like we've been saying a little bit, they probably even better than they were last year. Outside of maybe there's a couple in the starting rotation, make sure things work out, guys stay healthy. Other than that, I mean, the lineup, they're going to score runs every game. So. Is there any logical reason why guys like Jerks and Profar hasn't, haven't been signed yet? Well, that's like, what's been, going on? I don't... It's been a weird thing, and I don't know if it's the way with baseball contracts, but that's been like several years now. I can yes. remember when Lucroy was sitting there, and it's like there's all these teams that need a catcher, and Lucroy's a veteran catcher. You know, he wasn't an elite player at the time, but he was like the best guy available by far. And he signed. I remember he was at like a UL game early in the season. He was like, "Yeah, I'm still waiting on." And then he signed like in the middle, like a week before the season starts, and it's like, well. He was available two months ago, yeah, and y'all needed a catcher. I, I don't, I don't and then he's starting opening day when he didn't. So I don't know. It's a weird thing that once those top-tier free agents go by and then you see some bottoms in that middle tier, they just sit there and then they get signed like in the middle of February, late February, <laughs> middle of March. It's weird. And Profar seems like kind of a perfect fit for the Astros because they like versatility. I mean, a lot of teams do, but they seem to. And he's a guy because they, they kind of short on outfielders. Yeah, they don't really have that many outfielders of, of, you know. And, you know, El Perro turned out to be a much better defensive outfielder than any of us thought he would be. And so he's okay, and he's not a liability there, especially in home games. But it just seems like Profar is very valuable, even though I still think he's a slump waiting to happen. Um, you know, he can play second base or third, I guess, in a pinch and and play left field and give you another option there. Kind of like Alimus Diaz did. Alimus Diaz would play infield. He's probably a little more versatile than Jerks and Profar and the outfield. So I think it was uh, – I, I don't – I'm kind of waiting to see and kind of hope they end up signing him, but we'll see how that plays out. All right. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports <laughs> station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. All right. 
I waited to the end to do this. <clears throat> it's something I've been passionate about for decades, and most people don't get it. And I am not happy about the holding, the holding call that took place on one hand at the end of the Super Bowl. But I'm actually very happy on another hand because I, 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 I just sense that some people maybe, kind of, sort of, might finally start understanding what I've been preaching and screaming about for decades. It came out yesterday, or at least I saw it yesterday, that the crew that did the Super Bowl, not only did they not call any hold, defensive holding in that game until the two-minute warning, they didn't call. They hadn't called a defensive holding flag in three games. They didn't call one the, the game before and the game before that. It had been it, it had been three games since they called a single defensive holding call, and the point of this is there's it's in it's destructive in my opinion. We're never gonna get better until we create a goal of fairness. I hear all these people talking about making the officials full times. That is useless. It's not going to help anything until the goal is fairness. And what I mean by that, and, and, and people just don't get it, the, perp, the, the very constitution or mission is different. It, it, it's wrong. The purpose of officiating is to ensure that both teams have an equal chance to win the game based on their performance. The purpose of officiating is not to enforce the rule book. The rule, the rule book is a mechanism to achieve fairness, not the ultimate goal here. So what that means is, Every call is not good or bad based on the rule book. Every call is good or bad based on in context of the game, of the season, of the era. Like, it, 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 the rule book is part of all that, but it's not what happens way too often and it's happened forever and it's been driving me crazy forever is someone will come on like this guy, the defensive back will say, well, I held him. And so everyone, their minds shut off and it doesn't even take that. It could be the little Mike Pereira's of the world. Well, technically that was a good call. So their minds shut off and there's they're, they're so much, such a high percentage of the country that has bought the big lie for decades, their whole lives, that officials don't discern games, which is just a lie. So if you believe that, you're already at a disadvantage because you believe the lie and you're a sucker. You, you're the lollipop award winner of the day. It is a complete and utter lie, okay? Then there's the people that say, well, it all evens out. Another lie. That's just a flat-out lie. It doesn't all even out. Stop believing that. If you believe that, you're wrong. Now you have the—it's uh, a free country. You have the option of being to be wrong. That's your 
It's your prerogative, but you're wrong. So, And so we have to get to the point where we understand what officiating is supposed to be about. It's not about enforcing the rule book. If you wait, the example that I've been given all week since the Super Bowl, if you wait till the seventh inning of a softball game to start calling illegal pitches, it does not matter whether the girl throw an illegal pitch or not. It might have been an illegal pitch, but it's still a terrible call. If you don't call it, every call is good or bad, not based on the rule book, based in context of the game and the season and the era that you're in. And no one gets that. So we, we've been shutting off our minds when we hear what oh, was a good call forever. Does it mean that a team still has not been cheated? And, the, and that, was, that was terrible. I hear what you're saying, and, I'm not, and I don't disagree with you because consistency specifically within a game is one of the most things like, again, we talk about umpires. You can't ask them to be perfect, but you can ask them to be consistent. The only thing I would say about the Super Bowl game that might have happened, and we don't know, maybe we'll find out eventually if somebody talks about it, it's just the human element of it. And when you ha- sometimes what happens is holdings happening throughout the game, and they're not seeing it because the refs, they can't see everything. And then you're having a receiver or a coach going to that official going, look, Nine's trying to get out of his break. He's getting held every time. And then at some point the official starts to pay attention to it, and maybe that's what happened. They throw the flag late. It doesn't really excuse it because the NFL, as a billion-dollar organization, should have the – you know, in four, and you're right. That official should probably say, "Well, you know what? I've I've missed it a few times already. At this point, I can't call it today because I haven't called it. I got to be consistent. I got to stay out of this. You know, I've been staying out of this for for three games. Why Why am I not staying out of it now? And uh, again, I I don't people. I've been complaining about officials forever, and they think it, they because I, I, I use the word cheating. They just oh. I don't think there's any conspiracy involved. It, and I don't blame the officials. I blame the league. The league has to come up with a system to fix it. But the very first thing that has to happen is the idiots like Dan Graziano need to go in a cave and never be, be behind a mic again because they're destroying fair play. Have a nice weekend.